0: Thank you for listening to Knockin' Doors Down, brought to you by KDD Media Company.
1: The last one uh, was, I was there for from uh, 98 to 99, was a Provo Canyon school. It was in Utah. And huh. uh, uh, I don't know if you've seen, Paris Hilton just released a documentary about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I was there with her. I don't know how great that documentary is. I, I watched it, I didn't, you know. I'll just say that some of the, the, a lot of the stuff she said is not wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. I took my fair share of ass whippings from the counselor. Um, But that was, that was essentially, you know, from 14 until 18, I was, I was locked up. I even managed to get myself uh, arrested for Grand Theft Auto.
0: (laughs) Support for Knocking Doors Down is brought to you by Manscaped. Who's the best in men's below the waist grooming? Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code KDD at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code KDD. Your balls will thank you. Inside the 5150 Studios, this is Knocking Doors Down. Your host, Jason Lachance, and my co-host, Mikey Naraki. Hey, everyone. Of course, we've been through some different adversities, but turned them into our advantage. I, of course, uh, have struggled with alcoholism, uh, some childhood trauma, some sexual abuse, divorce, been through the ringer, but hey, that's all knowledge and uh, got to use it to fuel our futures. My co-host, no different.
2: Yeah, you know, got the whole anxiety thing and uh, got myself busted a time or two. What are you going to do? And our guest today, Cody. Mr. Cody. Great guy.
0: Of course, he's worked in the uh, rock industry for a long time, working with Five Finger Death Punch, a band that has been out there in the forefront with some of their members highly suffering from addiction issues. But Cody is no different himself. Uh, starting with a traumatic childhood, including uh, some uh, different substance abuse in the home, living well below the poverty level, and struggling with alcoholism and other drug abuse for a very long time. But man, he's turned his life around, thriving as an individual, a father, and uh, just an all-around great guy and champion of sobriety.
2: Yeah, that guy, I mean, you know, growing up listening to rock and roll myself, hearing the stories he has is just like
3: okay tell me more <laughs> tell me more
2: <laughs> well we hope you guys enjoy the episode and of course we can't
0: do any of this without 5150 ltm and right now just click that link in our podcast description and it'll take you to the store for all the gear we wear whenever we are doing our recordings with our guests and you get 20 off by using the code kdd20 that's what 20 right. off by using the code kdd20 knocking doors down and we've got cody with us what's going on my brother hey bud what's going on nothing uh funny thing we were joking before we started recording we this is our second time jumping on here but uh, the previous time some wind chimes fucked up the audio (laughs) so we're joking about we've hit that age of having wind chimes
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's kind of embarrassing but Whatever, man. It makes it sound nice and tranquil around here. Hey man,
2: it sounded peaceful on your end, so you know. Right. You got Absolutely. that. It oh, is definitely a
1: peaceful, peaceful environment. Not good for podcasting. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well thanks for joining us we know that uh you know not only has cody been a, a busy man in the industry he works in but uh newly a father, beautiful beautiful kiddo and a beautiful family in general and so we definitely appreciate it very much but uh how the hell are you hanging in there man i know that uh you know pandemic all this people locked down uh still doing obviously good you know long-term sobriety you're at how many years now
1: 11. It's 11 years now. Just turned 11 in November.
2: Nice. Congratulations, yeah. man. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It's been a, I, I, I,
1: I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm. holding it together. I, I think, you know, I could be insane and, and nobody's told me, <laughs> uh, but uh, I think I'm kind of holding it together fairly well. Uh, get, I get stir crazy, but, you know, thankfully they kind of opened everything up here um, and I, you know, I don't know. I don't know why it's, I guess the COVID thing hasn't really changed so much, but, uh, so I'm able to get out a little bit more, uh, go to some in-person meetings and, um, that's, that's, oh God, that's what it's so nice is it to actually go be in a room with, with people that want to get well.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know. I've been uh, looking around here for which ones are opening up and, there was one, uh, like a 6.30 a.m. meeting. It's like, okay, I got to go from being a night owl. I need in-person <laughs> meetings. I, I need it. I'm going to have to do it. I don't care if I stumble out of bed at 6 o'clock, throw on sweatpants, but at least I walk in and, uh, you know, get that in-person contact.
1: Yeah, who would have thought that you get silver and still be up at 6 o'clock in the morning? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I thought, right. That I was going to rest better. <laughs> uh, no. No, that shit hasn't changed for me at all. I'm
2: still waiting for that that person that's figured that thing out, you know. You're just waking oh, yeah. up hydrated and without the headache now. <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> that's the only difference. You wake up and you can like wake up and not drag yourself out of bed. You uh, can get up with get up normally, I guess.
0: Or the, uh, the, the the inevitable for those that uh, either, A, you've, you know, you've done your drunken moments or you're like Cody and I and doing the, the, the meetings and the work where you don't have to piece together the night before and the what the fuck did I do or the where am I or any of that stuff.
1: You know how I used to do that? I just look at my phone. You ever do that where you like wake up in the morning and you're like, what was that? And you like whip open your phone and you start seeing all the people you text and you're like, oh my God, what was I
2: doing? (laughs) You know what I used to do, dude? I used to put in my notes. This is what happened that night. Like if anything stood out that I thought was crazy, I would write it in my notes before I fell asleep. So when I woke up, I'd read them and be like. Oh, that wasn't that bad. I must have thought it was worse at the time or something like that. But I know exactly what you're talking about. Check your call log, see who you called, text.
1: Uh I mean, how many exes were you calling in one night? Like, what are you doing? (laughs)
2: How many people in my little black book did I dip into on this time?
1: (laughs) uh, Can you imagine looking at that note? So they're all written shorthand, like, Bobby, fire, gasoline.
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh you sh- know what that means but stolen car twelve forty-two a.m. Right? a.m <laughs> wait what i stole a right car? exactly right uh yeah oh man That's- yeah don't miss that shit
0: at all thank goodness but uh yeah, of course a little background on on Cody uh you know working in the uh, entertainment industry, you know, with uh, one of the essentially the biggest rock bands in the world, f- Five Finger Death Punch. kind of how you and I came about roughly to uh to get to know each other. I mean, how are you functioning within the work world right now with all this going on?
1: Well, you know, um my capacity with the band has definitely changed. Um you know, I don't I don't I haven't been on tour in the last I don't know, year and a half or so. Um and mainly was it, have able, been able to uh, work from home, excuse me. And so when I kind of came off the road, I had had a career before going into, you know, the music industry and working for them. And um, it's funny people make fun of me because uh, <laughs> uh, I've never done like a band tour, right? It's always <laughs> like private jets and brand new buses and left five-star hotels, some kind of a bougie tour. <laughs> I'm not going to go lay in a van, with nine other dudes. And so, um, but uh, uh, you know, it was a mistake. Uh, It was an accident, how I got in, into that, right. It was kind of a time and place thing. And so essentially I was able to kind of go back into uh, a career that I had already started, uh, uh, you know, quite a, quite a while down the road, quite a while down the road. And um, that's what I've been doing. And uh, you know, by the grace of God, I've been gainfully employed this whole time, and
0: yeah.
1: you know I haven't had to feel the, excuse me, the financial burdens that so many people out there are feeling right now. It's it's devastating when you see all these small businesses close, man. And like I've you know I've owned businesses, and and man, you put your life in soul. I mean, you hedge your entire life on this this one thing, and so uh, I'm I'm blessed, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm working. <laughs>
2: When this whole thing first started, were did that cross your mind? Like, oh shit, my job, my you know financial well being is kind of in jeopardy, or maybe in jeopardy. Or what was going through your mind when everything first shut down?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, you know, I had to furlough like thirty five people, mm-hmm. so I think it was always in the back of my mind like something's mm-hmm. going to change here, or something could happen.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, uh, you know, thankfully it didn't, I've, I've been in leadership roles, uh, for the majority of my career, uh, with large, uh, areas of responsibility and, uh, large teams under me. So, um, they would kind of have to fold up, um, you know, a whole division, if you will, uh, in order to, you know, probably shake me up or. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't super worried, but I mean, it was definitely a present, you know, just like that kind of popcorn kernel stuck in your tooth type anxiety like man i'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop right uh, thankfully it didn't and uh i've been able to kind of trudge that road moving forward so uh yeah yeah that's, what a blessing.
0: yeah um, for sure well let me ask you you know uh, at, you know as we've mentioned being out there with one of the biggest bands uh you know over the last decade um you know, with, with several members that have definitely highlighted, come out and spoken, obviously Chris Kale, Ivan Moody about their addiction and substance issues. How did you, being out there on the road, not only with that band, members of it that were using substances, but just kind of in general in the rock world with, with people that were, you know, struggling with substance abuse and maintaining your sobriety? Because once you went into kind of working in that, you you were already sober, correct?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I was, I want to say I was six years, six years sober when I went into that five years, something like that. In fact, I celebrated, uh, I remember celebrating my seventh AA birthday. Um, and, uh, I think we were in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And that was, uh, uh, we, we were in catering. That's, that's, that was my big sobriety, seventh sobriety dinner. And it was me and, um, I want to say it was Zoltan and Nikki Six <laughs> at this table, and and uh, they didn't even I didn't know, but uh, yeah. So I think that um, you know, by the by the grace of God, you know, um, most of those guys are <laughs> older, and so there was a couple of them that, that legitimately struggled with it, and I was it was at the height of Ivan's. I mean, he was he really struggled. With alcohol, I mean, it was public, and and I mean, just you know, Google it, and and so that that was really tough for me to see, know knowing what he went through, and and knowing what you know what people like us struggle with, um, and so uh, it, that was really tough. It was also really eye opening when you when you see um, you know, who's involved in enabling it, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, whoa, right? Like, you know, this guy is on the verge, man, and so. Um, you know, uh, I, I, in my capacity, most of my, my uh, uh, communication was through Zoltan. Um, and he is, I mean, he never drinks. I think I th- I've seen him drink maybe twice. And, and one of the times I have a picture and he, it's kind of funny. I don't think he would appreciate it,
4: but
1: you uh, <laughs> think it was funny nonetheless. And, and so I, I, I tended to stay out of any real scrapes like that. And then there's guys on the cruise, you know, that are silver. And so we'll throw together a ragtag meeting on the, you know, backstage somewhere on the dock or, you know, something like that with some roadies. And, um, you know, we'll do stuff like that. I used to go to meetings, uh, you know, in Bismarck, North Dakota, if we had a day off, <laughs> um, and places like that. So I, I, I was able to you know kind of stay out of any real scrapes and I was silver enough to know when, you know, when that kind of shit starts, dude, I'm, I'm out.
4: Right. right yeah for
1: like sure i don't i don't that, dude, i don't need to get arrested in portland maine <laughs> <laughs> like, And i know that's where this is going and so you know five fingers of uh they kind of have a uh a, at least at the time and I'm, I'm pretty sure now you know they don't they don't put up with that kind of stuff and so kind of had a no chemical policy um you know of course there was a couple members that struggled you know kale
4: yeah
1: uh, obviously you know he, i think he's Three years sober. You know, he just took three years, and uh, I re- I remember him doing what he did, and mm-hmm. um, you know, there's not much you can say. And so, you know, congratulations to him. And it's wild to see Ivan where he is today. Yeah. Uh, to, I mean, it, you guys, what you saw was only a like a glimpse of of what that that guy really struggled with. So I'm I'm so proud of him. And you know, we we talked quite a bit. So yeah,
0: no, that's good to hear. And it was, it was so much of it for, for, you know, as you're in the spotlight that it was so much out there. And, and, you you know, for me, it was, of course, going through what I've gone through, not being one of those people of judgment, but more empathy was just like, I don't care if he ever sings another note, I just don't want to see another purple person die from addiction, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, there was plenty of nights where I was like, "Uh Oh, right. And there was times where I'd walk on the bus and just go, man, please don't be dead. Right. <laughs> but I don't want to be that guy that found him, you know, laying on a bus or something. And, you know, by the grace of God, I didn't, but there were some scary moments, you know, with his health, you know, there was a, obviously, you know, we, we, we got uh fill from all the remains out there once. And, and that was because, you know, the guy hit the wall and it was like, yeah. dude, you know, forget everything else let's make sure you're okay yeah so uh yeah i'm just grateful for that man i didn't have to experience anything
4: there
0: was
1: definitely a few times where i was like backstage watching the show going man this is this is coming i'm watching this come apart yeah (laughs) fuck
0: uh, well, let's go back to, to your story, Cody. Uh, tell us a little bit, you know, about childhood and really, you know, where substance abuse started for you. Was it a, you know, a family history of it? And Yeah, I mean, pretty much everybody in my family struggles
1: with this, right? And, you know, my mom is uh, 33 years sober. Uh, my dad's been sober off and on uh, pretty much my whole life. Uh, about a year and a half ago, we found, like, one of my cousins based down in a gutter, dead.
4: Oh, fuck he
1: me. struggled with this. Um, you know, uh, my uncle, just about every, everybody in my family, they all struggled with it on both sides. And so, uh, I, I, I come by it, honestly, that's for sure. Um, thanks for my inheritance, I guess. <laughs> um, and, uh, um, you know, I, I grew up in a, you know, we were, you know, borderline poverty. I remember we didn't, we had, we only had three walls on our home. We had a, one, one wall was a blue tarp and, so, and we lived in this Canyon and we used to get all sorts of strange critters, rattlesnakes and tarantulas and scorpions that would uh, come in the house. And,
4: Fuck that.
1: Yeah. and so, uh, <laughs> um, and then, you know, I remember I, uh, one of my earliest memories is, as a child was my mom and her boyfriend beating each other up, man. And I can, I can remember even then, you know, three or four years old thinking like that something's wrong here, man. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not normal. And so, um, yeah, that was kind of, that was, that was my early childhood. And my mom got sober when I was five and, um, uh, kind of carted me around to AA meetings. And so I kind of had this strange upbringing, man, but, here I am, right?
2: <laughs> so you've been around it and all that. Like you said, all your family um, has gone through it. Did you ever, when you were little, say, man, I'm never getting involved in this shit? Once you figured out what it was, like I'm sure at three and four, you didn't realize it was alcohol and drugs. You just thought something was wrong, but you didn't know what. But once you figured out that it was substances and substances abuse, did you ever cross your mind? Like, fuck it, I'm never doing that ever. No, I mean, you know, I, I all I can
1: remember is, you know, really the feeling of Alcoholics Anonymous, man. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the, the, and that's where I go. I go to AA and that's, you know, that's kind of where I grew up. And I remember the people that were great. And went right. you know, from having like no friends and now we had all these great people around. And, right. and so to me, it was almost more of a social thing. And I never connected that with the drinking. And so, um, you know, it was never like, a, I'm never going to drink. I don't want to be like that because, I didn't, when my mom got silver, I didn't connect her drinking with the things that I was witness to, you know? And mm-hmm. so there's a big disconnect in there. And so right. all I know, is, you know, early life was really, you know, chaos. And, and you know, after she got silver, it was less chaos. I mean, we still had chaos because sure. you know, what do you what do you get when you take the booze from a drunken horse thief, man? You got a silver horse thief. So <laughs> <so she,
2: laughs> right. right. Horses
1: every now and again. And so, you know, we had some, a little bit of chaos, but it got exponentially better. And so no, and when I started drinking, it was, it was because I wanted to be social and sure. I wanted to
0: drink. Sure. So did you find that because of, you know, your, your social economic status and upbringing and stuff, were you kind of always an outcast as a kid then in that situation?
1: Oh yeah, completely. I was always, um, you know, I always kind of felt like I didn't really fit in with everybody. Like it was a little bit more difficult for me to make friends with kids at school. Um, and, um, it was, you know, I never kind of found my, my group. I never, I, I, I couldn't, I was never that person that could just, you know, get in. And so, um, yeah, absolutely. That, that was a huge struggle for me.
0: Was it, did you have any other circumstances? I know for, for me, like we were talking off air, a learning disability too, that kind of, in addition to being an odd kid, having an addict parent, that that also contributed to my ability to kind of connect with other people in a normal way.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. I was in, uh, I, I mean, I got diagnosed with like ADHD back in like 86, and they didn't know anything about it, mm-hmm. right? And so they were giving me like Ritalin. Um, like the max dose at five years old. And, um, and so because of that, you know, school districts didn't know what to do with, you know, kids like me. So they all shoved me in special ed. Right. And so, right. you know, nothing says I'm cool, like riding the short bus to school and I rode the short bus, you know? Right. So in a time when, you know, you're, 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 you're trying to, you know, be unique without standing out. I stood out for all the wrong reasons. And and nobody wanted to, you know, have a conversation with me. And so a lot of my friends, maybe this because, maybe that's why I feel so safe and you know with and, and welcome in AA because there's some fucked up sick people, man. But most of my early friends were like a little twisted, man, because they were the only other kids in class that I could talk to, you know. And so it didn't it didn't really center me socially, I guess. So yeah, I mean, that was definitely an issue hundred percent and maybe one that i still struggle with today um you know i'm i, I think i'm an uh, extroverted introvert right and so um you know i might appear as though i'm i'm outgoing but it's just a mask to the anxiety that i have you know sitting in my chest Fucking yeah. same
4: <laughs> yeah
0: well, I, and i understand that yeah. of you know almost going out and going into persona mode just to kind of, uh, know how to navigate with people. It's not so much the, you know, for those listening that don't suffer from addiction, oftentimes we're totally people pleasers and it's not being a people pleaser as much as it is wearing the comfortable mask, just so you can kind of get through and be jovial and then get back to your safe haven of being an introvert.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I think that, you know, it, 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 it's a, I, I I can play a bunch of different roles because I got to be a chameleon with everybody. Right. Yeah. And so, and I, you guys probably can, can do that too. Right. It's a survival thing for us. Right. Like I need to just like kind of disappear here and not stick out. And so if I can do that in all these different groups, you know, I can put, I can play all these different roles and, and, and you would never know. And that's, you know, that's probably why you guys are doing what you're doing right now. That's why you're so good with connecting with people. Um And, you know, you're doing this podcast, you can connect with anybody because it's a learned behavior you had to
4: yeah and
1: so you know that i don't know if that necessarily gets rid of of the anxiety that that that, that comes with it i don't think that's ever going to go when i walk into a room full of people i still feel all alone you know and so um and and i i wear it man
0: i think that's one of the cool things for anyone that might be listening and and maybe hesitant on any sort of 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 group being a part of their recovery is that you can walk into an aa or an na or i don't care maybe it's maybe it's a sexual addicts or whatever it is and the guarantee is that everybody in that room is there for the same fucking reason and you all have at least that in common and you can go yeah. ah
1: yeah absolutely that's why i love you know going to meetings it's uh in-person meetings right mm-hmm. zoom is great but it's kind of like you know bathtub crank it'll get you by but it won't <laughs> it doesn't quite satisfy like, Mikey's smiling he knows what's up <laughs> and so uh, getting into a room with people and just to feel that energy like hey man it's kind of a safe place man there's only two places i've ever felt comfortable in my entire life man and that is uh, a bar or a room of alcoholics anonymous man and,
4: right and so
1: uh man i love it it's a uh, i finally feel like okay man
0: it's gonna be okay Yeah. So when did, for you, at about what age did you start uh, using any substances? And then subsequently, you know, the series of the wheels falling off. I know you had many infractions.
1: (laughs) I I mean, in my twenties, it was pretty bad. Um, And even in my teens, I guess I started drinking when I was, you know, 13 years old. I was in junior high and um, still in special ed, still had to take the short bus, um, you know, uh, and, um, uh, you know, at junior high, you're really trying to find an identity. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, What am I, who am I, you know, how do I feel, you know? And, and, and so, um, like I said, we grew up real poor, you know, that didn't change for the most majority of my life. Um, you know, it's very different now, but, um, and, 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 and so, you know, I was, I was, my mom was still dressing me. And, you know, at 13 years old, and the clothes I had were, you know, my grandmother made. And so, um, you know, I I remember this kid that uh, was kind of one of the cooler kids at school. and We had, you know, a class or two together. And so he had said something to me about, like, hey, you want to go hang out here? We're going to have, like, this party thing, man. You know, and I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, dude, I did. Yeah. And... Then I had to figure out what to wear. <laughs> right, it's pretty funny. My first drink, and I it, people always laugh at I me. Mean, I mean, this is imagine this. I was 13 years old. I was just you know I surfed uh, a lot. I grew up you know on the beach, um, and so uh, you know. But that, I didn't that didn't make me cool by any means. Um, I I had these uh, plaid shorts that were like a uh, golfer yellow plaid. They were like way above the knee, which is so uncool back then. I'm like 96, man. Anything above the knee, that's like, dude. What but, are
2: you now, but now, but now that shit is in. <laughs> right
0: now, right? <laughs> you, you were a fucking trendsetter ahead of the curve. Trailblazer,
2: baby. Trailblazer.
1: <laughs> so it was funny because I was sagging these things down to like, it's so low, man. It was so uncool. And, uh, I had this, uh, yellow sweater on that said um uh cody is a and it had a shooting star in puffy paint that my grandma made for me and that was my to <laughs> my, my first junior high slash high school party and i remember walking into this place like totally like almost paralyzed with fear but like i i just had to figure out what what was going on and so someone gave me a beer man and i i that was the social lubricant that's all it took i walked in that place Nobody wanted to talk to me. After a couple beers, they were all my friends, <laughs> and not just, like good friends. They really wanted to know everything about me, man, and yeah. be a part of my life. And so that's the way that's the way it started.
2: Did school change for you after that? Was it different the next day and all that, being with all the cool kids, drinking all that good stuff?
1: Yeah, I was kind of you know I, I I learned real quickly how to kind of fit into that group, mm-hmm. and, and and I and I did. Um, you know, I think about a year later, I was, uh, 14 and excuse me in 10th grade. And, uh, uh, I got, I, I, my parents caught me drunk and, um, I was talking about my son earlier and I was struggling still emotionally Mm
4: -hmm.
1: and, uh, with anxiety. I remember one day they, my, my dad, he, I was going to, and I've never, well, Forget this, man. I remember when uh, Metallica released Load? Yes. I love Metallica. That that, band, that album's okay, I guess, but um, <laughs>
0: there's some great uh, songs on it, man. I uh, I'm one of those guys. I fucking like e- all of them. Even Saint Anger's bad got badass songs.
1: Saint Anger's called like Load and Reload, and I'm like. Uh-huh. But anyhow, I was going. They were playing in San Diego um, on that album cycle, and so uh, I was going to a show with a buddy of mine. my guy goes, "Hey, man, we're gonna stop by your mom's real quick." And I was like, okay. And so we stopped by and she's like, we're checking you into a rehab and you're going to be locked down for the foreseeable future.
2: What age was that?
1: I was 14. So like within a year, my drinking was already a problem. Damn. And so uh, off to rehab, I went and essentially ended my, you know, my, my normal high school career where I spent the rest of my time in uh, rehabs and lockdowns and yeah, I even won over, uh, in, uh, the last one, uh, was, I was there for, from, uh, 98 to 99 was a Provo Canyon school. It was in Utah. And, huh. uh, uh, I don't know if you've seen Paris Hilton just released a documentary about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I was there with her and, uh, uh it's a, I don't know how great that documentary is. I I watched it. I didn't, you know, I'll just say that some of the, the, a lot of the stuff she said is not wrong. Uh, Mm -hmm. I took my fair share of ass whippings from the counselor. Um, But that was, that was essentially, you know, from 14 until 18, I was, I was locked up. I even managed to
0: get myself a, uh arrested for Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Shit. Tell us whatever. You gotta fuck it. you can't just tell us you stole the car
2: during that time and not give us the story. Yeah, I was just kidding about that earlier. I didn't know you really did it.
1: <laughs> no, I, 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 I stole a car. It was funny, I ran away from this uh 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 it was a RTC residential treatment center out in Southern California, in a place called uh, Ramona. Mm. And i I'd, I'd managed to meet a girl in there and like anybody with the rehab romances, man, we were in love. And so we ran away from that place and I ended up stealing a car. Um, and I should have known, man, I'm not a very good criminal. I get caught quite a bit. Um, and so uh, the cops were watching the car, man. And <laughs> they got me. I wrecked it into three other parked cars and like off to Ju- They whooped my ass and off to Juvenile Hall. I went and then from there is when I... Ended up. that's how I ended up going to pro
2: school. Well, come on, man. Uh, Hitting three cars isn't exactly incognito, you know. You're not blending in. <laughs>
0: so, there. was no. so wait, the co-
2: <laughs> cops are watching this car.
0: Tell me it was like a cool, like, Corvette or something, yeah. not a fucking, like, uh, like, like an AMC Pacer or some piece of shit.
1: No, man, it was a Volkswagen Jetta was gold. <laughs>
2: <Okay>. <laughs>
1: it wasn't even, like, anything cool, man.
0: And I don't even know.
1: I was, like, the only reason, I didn't steal it. I stole it because I wanted a ride, man. Mm. <laughs> like, that tells you how fucked off my thinking was back then, but I needed a ride. So,
0: yeah, hey,
2: wouldn't it yeah. happen if we had Uber back then? So, wait. I know. <laughs> All right.
0: God damn it. Uh, it's technology coming too late. So, te- so, you end up in this place, the, this facility in Utah, the Paris Hilton is also there. So, are they kind of like, was this like a center for, you know, wealthy kids that got sent as well as, you know, yours is kind of like, a quote unquote scholarship or a free, or they had to kind of intake, you know, the spectrum. I mean, it just sounds odd.
4: uh,
0: It was basically a
1: school for uh, kids that were flight risks. Um, I I was running away from a lot of rehabs because man, I just don't jail very well, man. Like Mm -hmm. it's, if you walk me up into it. I can't do it. Like something inside me just like, I, I crawl out of my skin. Um, But, uh, uh, you know, there was a lot of my roommate was uh, his his parents were billionaires. They are one of the largest investment firms on the planet. Uh, And, uh, um, you know, there was uh, a couple of other really wealthy kids. There was. uh, Anyway, I don't want (laughs) to say their shouldn't say their names, but Paris was there and she said it. So that's, you know, she was there, um, but it was it was for kids that were, you know, their, their parents didn't know what to do with them and um it was a brutal facility man and you know i'm the vice principal of the school and i i still talk to him uh and and he was he was a big reason why i was able to get out of there man he was a great man and helped me graduate high school thank god um but uh yeah man they would i mean i'm not even kidding they would whoop your ass not soft uh, for like, you'd have to walk in a single file line. And if you step out of line, they're right there to check you.
0: That's fucking bananas. What year is this in?
1: It was ninety-eight, ninety-nine. Yeah. I graduated in 99. So which it's cool not- because I, I tell people, uh, on my resume that I graduated second in my class and it was a class of
4: two. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh so shoot. when you first got sent here at the age of 14 what was your mindset were you pissed off at your parents for sending you there were you kind of just like all right fuck it let's do it no i mean
1: i was all i think i was i i thought and acted alcoholically long before mm-hmm. i was actually an alcoholic mm-hmm. and so um you know i got here like i don't even know what the big deal is man i like I like to hang out with my friends like you know, what's the problem i just i couldn't grasp how poorly uh my decision making skills were and and uh my behavior
2: right
1: and how it affected others and so um i i you know when they the, it was called san luis ray that was where they checked me into the first time and um you know i i, I remember going in and it was like dude it was it was crazy mm-hmm. it was cra- i thought i i thought i was the sanest person there but i always do anyways and so <laughs> um you know uh there was this kid that was smashing his head against the wall there was this girl that was screaming just cut my head off like and i'm like sitting there like going here like this this is the solution huh Mm -hmm. okay and so i you know i i went and did the three weeks of that and then i did six weeks of aftercare that was you know outpatient but intensive so i was there all day and then i'd go home at night and then They, you know, they sent me into a, back to high school within a few weeks, they, they yanked me back out and, 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 and put me back in. And that was my last experience with normal high school. And Mm -hmm. after that, it was, I went on to some phase two program and, you know, from there it was residential.
0: Yeah. Well, So, so, so you've graduated high school. What does life look like then? I mean, it was,
1: you know, we were talking about my son earlier and. I can understand their perspective of being scared i guess um you know and i it, it, if you look at it like hey i graduated high school and i got through my adolescence alive then you no know, hey i you know you know flying colors good job hmm. but what it really did for me is like i i turned 18 i ended up graduating shortly after that so i i could signed myself out but i stayed just you know, might as well stay the extra few months and, and, and uh, graduate. And so, you know, when I, when I, when I came home, it was like the handcuffs were off. Man.
0: Right.
1: And it only took me a few months to, you know, I started hanging out with, you know, those people that you you, you don't want to, you, you don't, you shouldn't be hanging out with. I was going to those places. I wasn't drinking yet. Um, I was still kind of going to, you know, AA at the time a little bit, um, but eventually you know half measures availed us nothing and i was a half measure for sure um and i drank and um, that started the. you know i think i was 20 years old i was 20 years old and then um, when i finally drank i managed to scrape together a year somehow
4: uh,
1: outside but uh that sent me on the ride man mm-hmm. and boy boy it was a ride
0: well how long did the ride continue until you got sobriety and what were some of the subsequent uh you know, negative pinpoints throughout that ride until sobriety finally, you know, took hold. Whereas like, fuck it. I gotta, I gotta, you know, or I'm going to be dead.
1: So it was, it was never like a, like a, to me, it wasn't a life or death thing. Now, now I realize, you know, what it is that I was, you know, playing with, right? Like a kid that found his dad's gun, just, you know, waving it around, Um, you know, what, what could have happened. And, Um, so I, you know, I drank in my 20, I got sober at 28, uh, and, uh, you know, in that time it was, you know, pretty quickly, uh, uh, I, you know, I was struggling keeping a job, right. Making any real money. Uh, I was struggling, you know, taking care of myself. And so I had to learn how to kind of hustle my way through life, which, you know, I think, you know, both of you can relate to that. Um, and it's just, you know, it's survival, right. I'm hustling my way into that room with my, my, I know my buddy's got a spare room. Let me, let me rent that thing for as long as he'll put up with my shit. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and and you're just kind of hopscotching jobs and hopscotching friends and couches. And, um, you know, you're almost always have a different car and (laughs) a different phone number. And so, I mean, it was stuff like that. And then, you know, I started getting arrested a whole lot, um, I think I was arrested over 80 times. Holy shit. Uh,
2: For what, like fighting stuff like that or drunk in publics or? A lot
1: of fighting, but it's funny. I, you know, uh, it was all drunk in public and DUI. So I got Mm -hmm. one on my, at the height of it, i had had seven DUIs um, and it was a lot of fighting and just being in dumb areas that I shouldn't be. And, you know, by the grace of God, I was never charged with assault or anything strange like that. And Um, you know, they always just, you know, break it up and take us to, you know, spin dry us for the night and send us out. And so, right. um, you know, I, it was, it was just a lot of shit like that, man. It was just constant. And so, uh, I was constantly getting DYs. Um, and I'm like not an accountable person, dude. Mm-hmm. Like I, unless you sit me down and like make me accountable, I'm not gonna, you know, here's your court date. Like, I my parents can't get me to listen who are you Mm -hmm. right you know and so i just i never showed up to court man and so i had all these bench warrants all over the place and it's crazy like um you know they they would they would arrest me for a drunken public and they'd be like dude you got warrants everywhere or fighting or whatever it was and you know they go okay man we're going to give you a new court date for all these warrants you got to appear and i'm like oh yeah yeah yeah, I'll appear like the second. <laughs>
2: Count me in, yeah, bro. See and you half. there, <laughs>
1: right? Like, I'm not like coming back. And so, I, I got released on bail one time, and so I had this bail bondsman, uh, uh, bond agent hunting me down. He was going to all these places, but I'd get this call from a friend, like, dude, this there's this like bail bondsman here that's like trying to arrest you, man. Like, just FYI. <laughs> And so I knew they were coming, and then I'd take off or something. And Did he have a blonde mullet? No, it was never the dog, man. I, I would totally get arrested by the dog, man. That'd be great, because he'd give you a pep talk and a cigarette on the way in. You know what I mean? <laughs> right? Oh,
2: I forgot so, about that. At least I could bum a free cig, huh? I, he was cool about it. He would give him a cigarette and stuff, huh?
1: Yeah, man. Like, after he got you in the car, he was chill, right? Super Before chill. He was a total prick, but... After he got you in the car, he's like, "Do you talk to me about God? I'm like, hey, man, let's get well, dude. Like, call me. I want to help you.
2: <laughs> well, you good. You want to smoke. And they're looking at him like, you just fucking speared me into a wall. Now you're giving <laughs> right. me a yeah. cigarette. <laughs>
4: pepper
0: spray yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> It was a pepper spray of love. Right, exactly. Oh,
1: and, and, fuck. And so, uh, no, but I, I I remember one time uh, I was staying with my dad. And uh, I, go, I got the call that there was a... A, a bail bondsman had just left my ex-girlfriend's house. And literally three minutes later, boom, 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 they're at the mind. door now. And I'm like, oh shit. So I'm my dad is sitting there, like with half his face shaved, shaving cream on the other half, and like what looks like tidy whiteys, right? <laughs> in at the door, <laughs> yelling at him, saying, He's not fucking here, right? And I'm going, better not fucking tell him I'm here, man. <laughs> <laughs> Like what kind of chaos to put my parents through, you know? <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, no, I know that. You know, my dad getting the call from from the bail bondsman. You know, I mean, uh, I think you put it best in one of our personal conversations. Was if life was truly fair, thank goodness it isn't. I would have been arrested a lot more than I was. But uh, man, yeah. if life
1: was fair, I'd still be in prison right now, man, because I only got. You know, I always make the joke, like, apparently I'm not very good at drunk driving because I get caught all the time. But the reality is I drove drunk for nearly a decade and I only got caught seven times. So odds are, right, Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, I'm not going to get caught. But I I, I drove drunk for a decade, you know, and and if I got a DUI, if life was actually fair, right, and when justice is due, if I had to pay the piper, I'd have, you know, 10,000 DUIs or 3,000, excuse me, 3,000 DUIs and I'd be in prison for the rest of my life, man, so I'm glad life's not fair.
0: More with Cody coming up on Knocking Doors Down, hear how after seven DUIs, he only served 47 days in incarceration, how Cody came to work with Five Finger Death Punch, his path to sobriety, and random questions. Hey fellas, we're in the thick of winter and a storm's a brewing. It looks like one to three inches are in the forecast when you trim that hibernation bush that's taking place in your pants. Luckily, our partners at Manscaped specialize in products to make sure you're walking around town with beautiful
2: snowballs. The performance package comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0, Weed Whacker, Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Performance Boxers, and Travel Bag. Have you ever noticed how nasty nose and ear hair is? In fact, 79% of the partners polled admitted that long nose hair is a major turnoff. Might as well use the best tools to do the job. That's right, and only Manscaped can do it because, hey, we've all been
0: out there on a date or something, and then you find yourself going to the bathroom, and what do you have? A veritable forest growing out of your nostrils. Nothing says action ain't happening like that. So definitely pick yourself up some Manscaped products. You can get 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code KDD. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code KDD.
5: Thanks, Manscaped, for making our winter wieners look so good. The Race to Be Drug-Free Campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs Boxing Program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. I was going to say, what's the longest stint you've ever done in prison?
1: Uh, I, so 47 days, uh, because and he has
2: seven DYs? Yeah.
1: So check this out. This is the strangest thing that ever happened, man. And, you know, subsequently it was my moment of surrender. Uh, I got arrested. My sobriety date is November, November 14th, 2009. Mm-hmm. I was arrested on November 13th. And so I always ask people like, what happened the day before you got sober? Like, that's what I want to know. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, uh, I got arrested I was walking into a bar. And uh, for whatever reason, like I'm pretty chatty when I'm drunk and uh, clearly not the best decision maker. There was a bunch of cops sitting there. And so I was like, hey, man, let's have a chat. And so I I knew it was going to be a rough night when they asked me for my ID. And so because, you know, run my name, I'm probably headed with you. And so, uh, you know, they were just going to I remember you know what's funny when you've been arrested enough times to where you, you know the law and you're like hey man you can just cite release me the law states you shall which gives you <laughs> some leeway um and so uh they were like no we're gonna we're gonna book you and then release you and i was like all right whatever another night you know spend the night in jail and so uh, but it was always this brutal anxiety like if they ever decided right to actually make me see the judge right then Right. Instead of just releasing me and giving me a, a, um, a court date. Uh, well, on November 13th, that's what's happened. Right. I always make the joke that my sobriety date was gifted to me by a guardian angel disguised as a sheriff. Mm. Uh, and uh, we, I got into uh, central booking and they, um, you know, they, they said, we're just going to site release them. And the guy behind the counter says, no, we're going to keep them. And I was like, oh, shit. Like all of a sudden, you ever just like totally silver up? Oh yeah. Yes. So I was like, oh shit. And the realization had come real hard real fast that like I'm probably not leaving here for a long time. Like a really long time. Knowing that I had 70 DUIs that I hadn't appeared on. And so I uh I I called a bail bondsman. This shit, this is funny. It it's funny and it's not, but it was my moment of surrender if you will. I called this bail bondsman and my dad had inherited this airplane from my grandfather and uh um you know uh all pilots and um i convinced the bail bondsman uh to uh take my dad's plane as collateral oh, shit. knowing that i was not going to court right like i'm not going to court because i know what's going to happen to me and so um he goes call me back in 15 minutes and uh you know oh, let me talk with my boss because we've never done an airplane, right? And so I call him back and he says, yeah, we'll do it. Um, You just got to be here within 24 hours with the the paperwork. And so I remember thinking right then, like, man, maybe if I don't do this, I don't ever have to deal with this again, right? That was the only thought that went in. And I just said, hey, man, I think I'm going to hang out here for a little bit. And I hung up the phone and that was the first time that I ever just kind of went like, all right, man like whatever you want. You yeah. just don't want to do this. I don't want to be running from bail bondsmen. I don't want to be constantly arrested. I don't want to live like this. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up going before the judge. Uh, and God, you know what's horrible? The three or four days before you go to court and all the guys in jail will give you an opinion on what you're going to get sentenced
4: <laughs> to, oh <my> gosh.
1: <laughs> so it's everything from like, yeah, they're just going to release you to like, oh no, buddy of mine got like 12 years for that. <laughs>
2: oh Oh my god all right all right nobody fucking talk to me just let me think
1: (laughs) everybody's a you know jailhouse paralegal yeah and so um (laughs) in a strange you know uh scenario i had never been convicted so the law somehow i had to be convicted as a first-time offender and so i ended up not going to prison uh, but i got a 40-month suspended prison term um of which because i was a habitual offender i would have to do like 90 percent mm-hmm. of that and so but that they were going to make me serve 180 days right then plus all these horrible fines 100 days of house arrest once i was released and um uh and, and so i of that 180 days i did 47 and they released me on december 21st um because i was a you know nonviolent offender um and so that was that was that was, that was how i got out of that mm-hmm. um and uh, you know, I remember spending the entire forty-seven days in jail. Um, you know, thinking, I gotta quit drinking, man.
2: Yeah.
1: When, because you have time to reflect in there, you don't. You don't got much time to do anything that's else. That's
2: all you got, man. Time. Right? That's all you, you got the, in there. You
1: think, you eat, you play chess, and then that's and that's it. That's that's your life, man. And so. I don't, like I said, I don't jail. I mean, I was a, it was a scary experience knowing that if I screw this up, I gotta, I gotta sit here. I I don't think I would survive that. And, you know, maybe I would maybe physically survive, but I would not be the same person leaving prison that I was going in. And so, um, I remember sitting there thinking like, look, reflecting on my life, like, dude, everything that I've ever been in trouble for was alcohol related, like alcohol was involved. And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to quit drinking. And so I, the moment they released me, um, uh, the door shut behind me, I had $12 in my pocket. My first thought was, there's a USA gas station right here, man. I, I bet you I can get a couple tall boys and, you know, I just need to get well. Mm-hmm. For a minute. I, just need it to, I just need some of this to blow over, right? And so that terrified me. The second that thought hit my mind, I knew I have, I'm going to go serve that prison sentence. I, there's it, it is inevitable i am going to serve that prison sentence and my life is forever going to be different and i i will not have the life that i want to have and so uh i called my dad at the time he was sober uh at that time thank god uh, and i said man I'm, I'm i'm scared i don't know what to do and he's he goes i'll take you to a meeting and i was like fucking aa it's not that bad <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, Oh, those stories we
0: tell ourselves, right? Oh, so
1: funny, man. Like it, you're like, "Oh my god, I'm going to go to prison. I just need help." And it's like, wait, let's go to AA." And it's like, "Whoa." Oh.
0: <laughs> not that bad
1: dude. Super down. <laughs>
0: yeah. Cuz uh yeah, that subsequent possibility of those that longevity of being in uh, confined to a space as opposed to an a 1-hour meeting or something. Oh, yeah, though. No way. I'm not no. going to do that. No.
1: Absolutely not. And so
0: I, I I went I went to that
1: meeting and uh, you know uh, that was uh, December I think twenty second. I I remember hearing uh, my first kind of round of sobri- sobriety when I was a kid. Uh, this guy said, "If you're not into if you're not into a meeting within twenty four hours of getting getting released from rehab or jail, then you're fucked." And and I was I I didn't want to be fucked, so <laughs> uh, I went to a meeting and. You know, eleven years later, here I am.
2: Yeah. So let me ask you this: during the whole time of all the alcohol use, did you? I'm sure drugs came into play every now and again, but did, it was obviously it wasn't every mainly. Again. I'm sorry.
1: It wasn't every now and again. It was a it, that was a constant. Man, I, I love cocaine. Okay, I was like gonna cocaine. say.
2: So what? There had to have been more than just alcohol. Was there anything? As, so cocaine is what it was then. No, I
1: mean it was pretty much. Uh, you know, uh, I was. <laughs> I, I, I don't get into that, my drunk log of, of, of that so much. Right. But wow. uh, you know, I've done enough cocaine to sink a ship probably twice. Um, air fire <laughs> right. I buddy. hear you.
2: I hear you, but we're past it now. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. yeah amazing. Um, but, um, uh, I've done enough of that stuff. Uh, there was a, about a year and a half in there where I was smoking a, an absolute ton of meth. Yeah. Um, and I'd gotten this job with, uh, uh, this absolute lunatic. Um, in fact, we used to like beat each other up. He was my boss. We'd like beat each other up Anytime It's strange, but it was in an office building and he had this office. He had the whole downstairs rented and half the the top stairs of this, um, kind of, uh, uh, office complex. And I built a, like an apartment out of cubicle squares in the, uh, uh second, the, the unoccupied section of the second floor. And I was living in it.
4: Oh, right.
1: Shit. And like, and I was as happy as can be. I was happy. I used to bring girls back there. man. <laughs> Fuck. Like fucking, like this is the crazy, crazy shit we get into, man. And, and I was hanging out with those people, like smoking meth. And, uh, I never, I, I never smoked crack. But you know, I learned how to free cocaine, so is that kind of the same thing? It's
2: pretty much the same thing. I smoked, yeah. cracked once, liked it, so I never did it again because I was like, right. I'm not going to get into that. The way I would talk it about cocaine is it's the champagne of drugs, dude. Celebrities do yeah, it. Absolutely. Rock stars mm. do this. It's, it's okay. It's Coke is fine. But meth, I did that probably a handful of times and I just felt dirty. No judgment on anyone who oh, does yeah. it. I've done it too. You know what I mean? But it was just oh, like, yeah. this shit is... I, I like it. I gotta stop because I like it. So luckily I was able to pull myself out as were you. So we yeah, can talk first, about I it
1: now. Was, uh, I was, I, I, this is gross. I did the first time I did math was off the toilet seat at a casino mm. <laughs> with my buddy, dude.
2: Dude, I can't tell like, you how many lines have been done off to toilet block. seats. It's, it's disgusting, but it happens. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like,
3: yeah,
1: man, like unbelievable, man. Unbelievable. Yeah
2: gross cocaine was great man
1: That's the champagne of beers man nose beers yeah
2: champagne (laughs) of nose beers absolutely that's that's what made ourselves feel better about it like no dude it's cool kidding me everybody does this that reminds me the time (laughs) i counted out
0: change because it's all i had in in my life money wise zero dollars in checking and savings but i had enough change by the miller high life the champagne of beers it's like how fucking sad you get you're counting out the change and for the 10 people in the line behind you you're that much of a dick you know so oh, absolutely! Do you remember those? This
1: is kind of funny, but do uh, you remember those little like those tutors where you put like the thing in there and it, you would turn it upside down? It was a oh, hell hit. yeah, hell yeah! Oh, my god. you remember like ripping your buddies off? and be like, "Oh, I didn't get me, oh, I didn't get me. story of my <laughs> life, dude!" Oh my god! <laughs> you know what sucks? like those are the days that I don't miss. Like looking at the clock at you know, two o'clock in the morning on Sunday,
4: mm-hmm. right,
1: or Monday morning. Like going, God, I just need to come down like drinking and like, you know, going like, dude, if I if I go to bed right now, I'll get four hours of sleep right before I got to be at work. And then like trying to go to sleep and then looking and like, okay, if I go to bed at two hours and then finally you're like, fuck it.
2: Dude, fuck it. I know all I mean, like, fucking oh. too well. I know all everything you're saying is just bringing back so much nostalgia, just laying there like. There's no way I'm going to sleep right now. Heart's literally just like this. Oh, yeah. And I, oh, gosh, i that's where I developed anxiety. I remember going outside to smoke a cigarette because it was, you know, the end of the night. It was probably about 4.30, maybe 5 in the morning. So I go outside and smoke a cigarette. End of the night? That's the beginning of the fucking morning. That's the thing. Tell that ah. to somebody who's been doing blow all night. That, that <laughs> right? was the end of the fucking night. Um, I thought I was dying. I thought I was, okay, shit, I done too much. I'm having a heart attack. This, this is yeah. what's happening. Essentially, it was an anxiety attack. And that's yeah. where it happened. And I, I'm not positive, but I didn't develop anxiety till about 21 years old, and which was at the pinnacle of my cocaine usage. So I was <laughs> like, yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say that all of that, because I wasn't a downer. You know, Mine, it wasn't heroin or Xanax or anything like that. It was the uppers. I wanted to be up, man. When I'm at a party, I want to fucking party. I don't want to be on the couch yeah. nodding off. I want to fucking, there was no better feeling.
1: I had some friends that were doing that. And I'm like,
2: you just want to fucking go to sleep? Yeah, I don't get it. Why are you nodding off? You literally nodded <laughs> off in the middle of our sentence. This is fun to you? <laughs> like, right, like, Monday night, let's party. Yeah, about? Dude, what it's fucking right, Tuesday at three o'clock. Let's go.
1: <laughs> that, it's funny. There's only a couple times in my sobriety where, or in my drinking where I thought like, is that weird right like is that am i doing this weird Mm -hmm. and um one of them was it was like i was helping a buddy move on a monday morning and it was like i don't know i brought a 12 pack of heineken (laughs) like i thought that was bougie or something (laughs) and um and i'm like hey man let's have a beer and he's like dude it's 10 o'clock in the morning and i'm like oh is that weird (laughs) but you're
0: moving
3: Right. Like I
1: I apparently everything was an event and a, and a reason a party, man, whether it was Monday or Tuesday. And, you know, God, you know, you sprinkle sprinkle that stuff on top and anything's a party. You know,
2: and just to reel it in real quick, I know people listening or it sounds like we're like glamorizing the whole partying and cocaine thing. That's not the case because, you know, it you're fucking killing yourself. You're dying. You don't, your body is literally deteriorating. Like when I'd go into rehab, people would be like, why'd you do Coke, man? How, what, who hurt you? What went wrong? And I'm like, nobody hurt me. Nothing went wrong. It's fucking fun. Have you ever done it? You know what I mean? That was your mentality. But at the same time, you're literally killing yourself. And I remember
1: a a number of times you know, after, you know, a two or three day bender or even longer, sometimes I I look at like my hand and my arm and it would had gotten smaller. Yeah. Oh yeah.
4: body was
2: consuming itself. Mm -hmm.
1: Right. And you realize like, man, I hadn't eaten in like three days or seeing old
2: pictures of yourself. Like, fuck, I thought I looked okay. And everybody looking at me is like, this guy's got a pale as a ghost, black eyes. My hair was stupid long. It was during my Really, really rock and roll phase, you know. I'd wear no shirt with like the leather jacket, all that okay. good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I went through the good Charlotte
1: phase, man, with the <laughs> trucker cap, bandana, and the guyliner, man. I'm oh, did
2: you best. see Jason too? I never I did makeup. Guy, I had the guyliner. I never you know. did makeup, but I did do women's clothing. I did mm. wear women's clothing, just not makeup. I think. Yeah. That's that stuff fits well.
0: <laughs> I think His one of the, the, the sad photos that like I've gone back and seen recently was it was actually a, a vacation. It was out my, without my kids. It was around Thanksgiving, and I'm um, at Disneyland with my mom and some other family friends and stuff. And uh, after going out to dinner and I'm hammered at the, the hotel um, bar. And sure as shit, uh, you know, big basketball fan in NASCAR, Brad Doherty's there, who's the uh, NBA. If you go back and look at some Michael Jordan highlights, you'll see him getting posterized in it. But center, and I look at the picture, my head is so fucking bloated from how much I was drinking. And I'm tall and I'm slim, but my face is so bloated that, yeah. you know, and I look back now and I'm like, fuck, you know. As, uh, you it, just get the cr- you cringe when you look at it. You're like,
4: oh, God.
0: Yes. Like, yeah. What is yeah, I mean, I don't,
1: I don't miss that, I don't miss that at all. Fuck man. no, it, hell no. I think about that; and it makes me cringe. I can remember feeling like, like there was just poison in my body, and because there health.
2: was. That's yeah, that's yeah. what we were doing. You're just you're essentially poisoning your body.
1: Yeah, it's and it's it's amazing to think like it, you know, it, it didn't dawn on me that, that something's wrong wrong with like, dude, you're fucking smoking glue. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Yeah. Right? And and yeah. so, did you know, cocaine was kind of always present, mm-hmm. right, up until the end of my sobriety. But meth, I remember, uh, I called my mom one time and, um, you know, my mom is kind of a black belt Alana and she's, you know, 33 years sober. So, she you know, she's all in for the recovery. She's all out for anything else. Right. Um, and so, I, I called her and I said, hey, man, I, I've been smoking meth. I'm hanging out with people I need to, and I, I need to stop hanging out with. she said come home and uh it was the only time since i was 14 years old that i lived with my mother and it was a uh a, a number of weeks and she got me spun dry and got me off of it and i, I never went back good
4: uh, wow.
1: but, uh cocaine was always present man yeah and, and um but alcohol was always the thing right like if i was doing drugs alcohol was always present right if i was drinking drugs all, weren't always present yeah Right, and so, uh, yeah, so- I don't miss that. Going, Go think now. Now my head is spinning remembering that.
0: life. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the good stuff, though, Cody. Man, uh, you <laughs> know, sober. How did how did kind of like career areas take off for you? Of course, we've spoke a little bit about you working with Five Finger Death Punch. Uh, you know, how'd you get into that? Subsequently, you, you know, you're you're working in another area now in your life. You know, having success. How did you kind of come about? these things come into fruition. I mean, was, you know, music and influence in your life or, you know, electronics, entertainment, what was, what was it that really got you kind of headed off to building a life, you know, cause people, Hey, guess what? If you're getting sober now, you can build a life. If you take all those resources you put into getting drunk high or whatever, trust me, you can achieve a lot of shit. And Cody, you're an example of that.
1: Yeah. So I think that, you know, music's always been a thing for me, man. I love music. Um, uh, I, I, I always, uh, you know, played guitar, um, you know, and, and I've always been more attracted to, um, like rock and metal, like, like that kind of a scene. Right. And and that being said, I'm pretty eclectic, man. I was listening to Enya the other day and it was amazing. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, it was definitely an influence. I, I, I never considered going into a career in music, um, And, uh, you know, I I don't really have a career in music, so to speak. I think my career is in, you know, I I, uh, in in a different industry and, uh, you know, music kind of uh, came into it uh, accidentally. Uh, But I remember when I got sober, uh, I got the honest perspective and that, you know, we're all entitled to the honest perspective of, of, of who and what we are when we get sober. It's coming whether you want it to or not. And then one day it hits you and I realized that I was an uneducated, out of work electrician. I didn't have a driver's license, clearly, because I had a problem enjoying that privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, I, I owed more money than, you know, I at the, when I got sober, I was like, I can't, I can't pay that off by the end of my lifetime, right? Like, I'm not going to, I can't pay that off. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I went to school uh, to be a drug and alcohol counselor. <laughs> because <laughs> every idiot for six months wants to do that right
4: um
1: and so uh, i went and did that for a number of years for a fantastic uh, uh place and you know they gave me an opportunity and uh you know i i was making like 12 or 13 bucks an hour and barely supporting myself uh i had a uh, uh i was newly married at the time and we had just had a baby um and 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 so i you know when when my daughter was born i uh, I, I figured I, I, I need to grow financially. And so I was offered an opportunity in another industry and um, from a friend uh, actually within the program. Um, and, you know, I, I had, I earned his trust enough to be a reliable person. Right. And we were talking about earlier about, you know, the pandemic was I ever worried. I was always the guy before I, before now where like, if, it's, if you've got to furlough some people, that guy's number one, go get him. I, right. he is useless, and so uh, I've earned uh, a good reputation as being somebody dependable um, and uh, uh, someone you can uh, uh, rely on, and, and you know they'll create solution, and and uh, and so I was offered an opportunity, and I took it, and that's you know that's where my career is now, and um, I I did that for you know you know a number of years, and then on you know they the company sold to another company, and I I didn't want to go with that culture. Mm-hmm. So um, a buddy of mine w- uh, was the tour manager for Five Finger at the time. And, um, you know, I didn't have Five Finger who, right? And um, all I knew was they did that song Bad Company. And so one day he called me it was uh, and he said, Hey, man, you're not doing anything right now. I need a production assistant. Um, you want to want to go on tour just to say you've gone on tour? And I was like, oh, um, and at the time, I, you know, I was struggling with my wife um, and I needed a, a break, right? I bought a home and like it, everything was kind of relying on me. And so I said, you know, screw it. And I walked in my bedroom and I, I said, I am going on tour with Five Figure Death Punch and I'll see you in like uh, two months. And so literally the next morning, there was a limo in front of my house and off to Little Rock, Arkansas, I went, and uh, it, it's funny because Zoltan and I are really close now, really sure. good friends. Um, but my first day out on tour, it was it, it, we were just loading in, right, and you know, uh, lighting was setting everything up, and and I didn't I didn't know what was what. It was three or four days before the first show, and and Zoltan goes walking through and points at me and goes, "Hey, who's that?" And Brandon goes, "Oh, that's our production assistant." and he goes come talk to me and pulls the my my buddy brandon who was a tour manager aside and flips out on him like you hired a guy without telling me and so he was telling him to send me home and i was like oh man well this was short short lived huh and so uh i guess brandon ended up talking him talking him into keeping me and it's funny i remind him of that you know because we are close we still talk every day i still you know work for him and uh, I lived with him for quite a while, and and so um, uh, it, it it it's funny. I'm like, man, if you would have had your way, man, we wouldn't even be friends right
0: now.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <Dick.
2: laughs> wait. So okay. Wait. Hi. So you said you needed a break from your wife, and did uh, did she just feel the same way? Because when you said, "Honey, I'm going on tour with Five Finger CF, what what was her reaction?
1: She's you know, God bless her. She's a fantastic woman. We uh-huh. are divorced now, uh, just recently. In oh fact, shit! I'm sorry. And so, um, uh, you know, she, she'll tell you that, uh, that was the best husband ever. Right. Bank account was always full and I was never there, <laughs> um, uh, but you know, she was a little bit nervous, like, Oh, okay. Um, you know, but to that juncture, um, I had kind of guided our financial life True. and the money was good. Right. 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 So, uh, I was interviewing, I was in the middle of interviewing with another uh manufacturer to go work for them um but it was going to be you know a couple months until that started so i was like hey screw it we'll supplement some income we won't dip into our savings that gnarly
4: yeah
1: um and so she was like okay and so i, I went out went on the road for two months
0: nice that's wild man it's a wild trip but it's great and, and thank you for sharing Good to go from a uh, house <laughs> with three walls as a kid to these opportunities and having really built out a life for yourself. I mean, it's, it's a trip to hear that same, same kid, the person born in this house with three walls, these other experience and like the responsible thing, well, we don't have to dip into our savings. We'll get some, it's a good, you know, it's like the total flip of two responsibility. And you're living out. It's funny because factor. like I've,
1: I've earned that stuff, right? Like I've earned the money I have on my bank account right now. Sure. Right? I've earned the, the right to not be broke and stressed when I have to pay the mortgage. Right. Mm-hmm, and, yeah, uh, I'd earned the right to uh, have my my car, my driver's license, my record is expunged. Boy, that was an interesting conversation with the judge that day wow. when I asked him to expunge my record and all those DUIs, right? And um, you know, and and uh, I don't owe a single dime in back child support, and and if you combine that with you know uh, what I owed the courts. There, there, I was, I was never going to have another dime to my name in my life. Right. And, and, you know, how do you earn that kind of stuff, man, you do the right thing and right things happen. Right. And you, you work hard and put a hundred percent in hundred percent of the time. And, and, and like, you can have those things, right. It's, it, it, it's not a secret, like success is not elusive to the people that go out and get it and, mm-hmm. and, and do it. Right. It's, it's elusive for the people that think that it's passive. Right. And so, Um, you know, and don't be a dick. I guess that's like the biggest thing. Right. And I mean, I might be one, but, um, (laughs) you know, like be someone that like honors your word. And like, I, these are all lessons that I was taught in Alcoholics Anonymous and by doing the steps and connecting with a God that I do business with every single day. Right. Which was, I didn't come here to talk about God, man. I just wanted to stop going to jail, Mm
4: -hmm. you know?
1: And so, you know, you you can't, you can absolutely have those things. You just have to work for them. Right. And, and I've, I've, I've worked for them and my daughter's never seen me drunk. Right. I have a new son. um, And I hope that, you know, if if I do enough today, I get to keep my sobriety date. So tomorrow I'll start off sober, And if I do enough of those in a row, then she'll, or he'll never see me drunk either.
4: Mm -hmm.
1: Right. My, my son, Aiden, you know, he remembers. And, and, you know, I make my living amends to him is is that I uh, I don't, I take care of, us and, and 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 i honor uh the relationship that we have today and so
4: right yeah
0: that was, that was a that was a rant i like that rant. that was good that was a good though. fucking yeah, rant. It was a good rant if we if we if we had an awards at the end of the year that gets into the top rants which is there you go fucking yeah. perfect
2: definitely a nominee that's for sure
0: all right <laughs> uh some uh some quick questions
2: rapid fire yeah. questions you ready cody yeah, I, I, answers might be the same or might not be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Cody, I'll start it. Cody, if they were to make a movie about you, who would you want? Who would you cast as the actor to play you?
1: Oh, oh god, that's a tough one, man. Um, I don't know, man. I like, I like, you no, know, like johnny depp man he's a badass right Love, yeah. Love <laughs> and he's johnny in hollywood depp. vampires right and so yep. uh uh johnny depp or like james McAvoy, i really oh, like yeah. him um probably johnny knoxville though man. Probably, <laughs> oh yeah you know what i could see that knoxville Actually, Actually, uh, that's badass uh, nice he could,
0: he could uh-uh. probably show me show people what my life was like so, <laughs> it's funny when you were saying t- he
1: had that life
0: when you were talking about the boss that you had, that like you guys would use together and like like just beat each other up, I was like, "Yeah, but if it was filmed by MTV, it would have been a fucking success," you know. So that's funny you mentioned yeah. Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> yeah, um, oh yeah. Uh, any pet peeves? Shit that annoys you? Man, you know, it, it, yeah.
1: I guess that changes. Um, people probably are a pet peeve. Um, <laughs> feel it. <laughs> I, I feel it. Now, so I guess I got to get used to them. Um I don't know, man. I just I don't like people that don't do what they say they're gonna do, man. Sure. Like if you're not, just at least, you know, tell me no. Be real about it. Like, accountability. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> that that that's really been one that like I don't have compassion or empathy for people. Like the second or third time that you do that to me, like I'm out, man. I just don't have time for you. And I don't have that thing where I can forgive you and we can re- address our relationship Mm -hmm. do that i just i'm moving on man i I don't i I don't carry dead weight anymore
2: yeah yeah if you could travel anywhere in time but you had to stay there where would you go like you can go in the past 20 years 40 years 100 years or in the future what would you choose
1: oh god i don't know man Uh, i i really like a lot of 80s metal man
2: (laughs) yeah and we i mean the bay 2020 went The way 2020 is going with the anal swabs, man. (laughs) I think you might be better going in the past. (laughs) Where do I sign up for that?
1: uh, (laughs) I don't know. Like, I would say the 80s, but um, you know, uh, some of the most enjoyable years of my life were on tour. Uh, I think that I like the era of uh, like the 40s, the 30s, and 40s. Mm -hmm. I really think that that's cool. Like, what was going on during that time? America was becoming America, right? The 50s and 60s, we really got to see. Um, like a lot of diff- different, like civil reforms and stuff like that, like to, to be a part of stuff like that, big movements like that. I think that that kind of stuff is cool. I'm really attracted to American history. So there's definitely some timeframes where I'm like, you know, that was cool to see, um, you know, what we did, uh, there. Right. Sure. And, and that big industrial revolution. And then to see what was going on in the, you know, the sixties and, 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 that kind of stuff. And, um, uh, so those are the things that I I, I enjoy it. If I had to go back and pick one, I don't know, man, right now is, uh, I am really grateful for my life. So I probably would stay exactly where I'm at because, uh, I, I love my kids and I couldn't, I guess if, if I could take them with me, then yeah, I mean, I'd force them to go back in the fifties. They had some great fifties, <laughs> 60s, great cars.
2: Yeah, hell yeah. Damn, you're definitely in a couple nominees for best answers. I wouldn't go anywhere. I'd stay right here, man. I'm just like, all right, well, fuck. i take back my answer then. <laughs> See you in the 80s, buddy. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you could have one superpower, what would it be?
1: Oh, God, man. X-ray vision, so, like, never mind. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, shit. You know what? I, I wish that I could connect with people, um, like, genuinely, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, instead of uh, the way that I sometimes connect with people is it's like we were talking about earlier, like playing a role, right? Mm-hmm. And then if I could connect with them and then be of service to them, right? And you got to give it away to keep it. Um, with X-ray vision. <laughs> with X-ray vision. <laughs>
0: so, oh, Mrs. Johnson needs help yeah. again today. <laughs> Yes, she does. Yeah, she does. Miss uh,
1: yeah, <laughs> Johnson, get <laughs> <laughs> <It's> spiritually. <laughs> Cody, uh, what's shit. your
2: favorite curse word? Oh, fuck! Yeah.
3: Yeah, for Same. sure. Same. Fuck. It seems that should... was one of the questions <laughs> by like, the way. there's so many. <laughs>
4: yeah,
1: it yeah, has to be. Um, I mean, I like some of the. You know, I say dumb shit, like. You know just to throw people off like balderdash and dumb shit like that like, what? <laughs> and you know well, that's you do, bally- like who? i say that to my kids like you're what's that <laughs> that's
5: ballyhoo
1: yeah like, but fuck uh, is great man that's a
0: that's a great thing.
1: and if it's... you use it right even in a business setting it works nice <laughs> right? people are like oh yeah
0: oh well, yeah this is true um who would you say has been your biggest inspiration or mentor in life
1: um i mean that that's a tough one uh I've, I've had a lot you know my mother um has as you know i'm a mama's boy at heart and so i i love my dad we're really good uh we have a great relationship uh but my mother has really shown me what it takes to 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 be a successful human being in life right like we grew up um, I mean, in the ghetto, right? Like it was bad, and um, you know, she taught me about sweat equity, right? And you know, suit up and show up, and you 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 know, find something you love, and the money will come, right? And and she showed me how to do that, and like you know, she lives in a million dollar home now, and uh, you know, and you know, she's she's owns like super bougie cars, and like we you know, there was, I grew up in a home where whatever we didn't finish for dinner got thrown into an omelet the next morning because we just needed to eat, you know? And so I grew up on spaghetti omelets and (laughs) and stuff like that. And so, you know, um, I, I, I have learned that from her. So definitely my, my mother and then in sobriety, uh, finding the, the God that I do business with was my first sponsor. You know, we, we don't have a good relationship Anymore, oddly enough, um, but for the first five years of my sobriety, man, that that man was vital to my recovery. Um, I don't think I'd be sober today without.
0: I wouldn't have found a God without him. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, well, Mike, we want to give Cody the last word here. Final thoughts. So, anything you can offer to anyone that's uh, you know looking to get sober starting out in sobriety, maintaining, or even a family member, loved one of someone that, uh, you know, struggles with the same thing that we have addiction. Yeah.
1: You, know, you know what? I don't know, man. I, um, you know, the only thing I would say, I already went off on my rant is, you know, get out there and do it. You know, uh, there's, you know, come freely, enjoy it and and, and join us. Right. Like so many people struggle with this thing. It, it's, it's, it's terrifying. And then you're going, to you know, we're, we're, you know i'm the chairman of the board for our, our central office here and um you know our phone calls are through the roof uh right now it has become such a it, it, our call volume has increased over a thousand percent and um you know because of these lockdowns people are really struggling and you know it, it, at, we can't help unless you say help yeah right and and and, and to be fair we won't help and and unless you say help right there has to be that form of surrender and so you know, ask for help, you know, call your central office, call, you know, speak to somebody that you know about it. And if you know that somebody's sober and, and, you know, reach out, you will be shocked. The reception you will get, they are willing to talk to you about, you know, this life that they have found in, in sobriety and recovery, man. And um, you know, I, I, I promise you that life and recovery is beyond anything that, that you can, you know, understand man. I, I live a, a, a beautiful life that I never thought that I wanted or would have. This is far better than I thought the best that I could get was, right? And so thank God things don't go my way, right? And so, um, you know, just ask for help, man. We're here, right? Like, we're, we're, we're all here, we're not going anywhere, and we will cheerfully reach our hand out.
0: Thank you again to Cody, awesome guy just uh it's it's a bummer we weren't able to talk to him in person because he's such a good person he's been through the ringer of it all and really just a champion for sobriety mental health and and an example that you can come from any setting and background and turn your life around and build something.
2: Yeah, you know, I really like this hat, too. I like his, <laughs> I like his style. I like his
5: swag, if you will. And,
0: <laughs> and to see the hat, you either have to be following us on social media. That's knocking doors down on Facebook and Instagram or at KDD Media Company on Twitter. And uh, you can see that or subscribe to the YouTube channel for the full video interview.
2: It's my personal favorite. I got to see things on YouTube. I love the audio, but it's even better when you get to look. You get to see their facial expressions, you get to see the mannerisms, all that good stuff. You just get the the whole package there. Yes, absolutely. And if you guys are still looking for
0: some inspiration, don't forget you can get Carlos Vieira's autobiography, Knocking Doors Down, just by clicking the link in the podcast description. Anything else, Mr. Naraki? No, nah, I'm going home. On that note, keep knocking doors down. Yeah.
5: 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams, and working hard, always striving to make those dreams a reality. We believe life's too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road ahead that you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. Listeners of Knocking Doors Down, head over to 5150ltm.com
3: we We make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate. We welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors.